0: This morning I thought I was speak about building a foundation and um, I want to go back a little bit to see what we have gone through this past year. In March of this year, I spoke about where are we going as a church? Are we going to teach the fruits of the spirit like love and peace and kindness and patience, Or are we going to teach the believer what they must do now that they are saved? Now we know that our destiny as a church is all about whether we're capable of loving others or is God preparing us to love others. It's all about living authentic Christian lives and learning to trust Jesus Christ's life. In April, I focused on forgiveness and the mixed messages that there is in the Christian church. And we covered 1 John 1 9. See if I can bring that up on the screen. Um, All right, it's up. Um, And here's what the mixed message is today there are a lot of Christian churches who believe that you must confess your sin in order for God to forgive them. Now, if you don't confess them, then they remain unforgiven. And um, I had a, a, a beautiful and wonderful Christian wife who grew up as a Christian, and she grew up believing that if you didn't, if, you're, if you had any sin left unconfessed that you perhaps would not make it to heaven and so there's a lot of mixed confusion about this confession thing and in April I covered that about 1st John 1 9 if we confess our sins he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness but we found that in understanding this text, it's important to understand who John is talking to, because it's really important. You see, this text is the only text in the New Testament that talks about confessing your sin. And why would this be the only text in the New Testament? Well, we find out that in 1 John 1, 1.8, the Bible says this, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And so when John was preaching, there was a group of people called the Gnostics, and they had this belief that Jesus Christ did not have a physical body, and that they had never sinned. Never in their life did they sin. And so John is simply saying to them, If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in you. And he says, what you need to do, you need to confess your sins. And he is faithful and righteous. And if you confess your sins, he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Now, we know that the first step in salvation is for an individual to confess that he is a sinner. And once he confesses himself as a sinner, then then he opens his heart and and mind up for salvation. But this message in 1 John 1.9 has nothing to do with the Christian. It is for the unbelievers. It was directly presented to the Gnostics. Where Hebrews, in Hebrews 10, 14, it says here for the Christian, for by this one offering, he has perfected for all times those who are sanctified. Now, sometimes we read a text and we don't fully grasp it. We just read it. It sounds good. And okay. So here we read it and it says, oh, we are perfected for all times. Well, do we really believe that? Do you really believe that you are perfected forever? When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible says that he has perfected you for all time. Now, it doesn't mean that you feel that you're perfect. That's not what the Bible is saying. The Bible is simply declaring what you are because you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And so in April, we began our laying out the foundation for the exchanged life in Christ. And in Colossians 2, it says here, For in him all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete, and he has head over all rule and authority. Now here the Bible proclaims, because you are a Christian, that you are complete. Once again, it's not saying that you will feel complete. It's just the Bible is telling you you are complete. Now, in Second Peter, we get a, a, another uh, direction from... It says, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. And then in verse 4, it says, For by these he has granted us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Now here again, it's easy just to read the text and not really focus on what it's saying. The Bible is simply telling us that He has perfected us for all times simply because we made a decision. We asked Christ to come into our life, and he has perfected us for all times. And then he says we are complete, and then he says we are partakers of his divine nature. So what really pleases God is that you believe him. And that is very difficult in this life of ours, is just to believe God. What God says is true. And so it says here in Hebrews, uh, Hebrews eleven six, 6. And here the Bible says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. So the Bible tells us without faith. Faith is believing. Without believing God, it is impossible to please God. Now, in May, we continued our study of the exchange life in Christ, and we talked about being sealed by the Holy Spirit. Um, and here it is In Him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed that you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, Do we really believe, again, do we really believe that we are sealed forever? That God, when we accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, God sealed us through the Holy Spirit. And so that you and I can walk around in this world knowing exactly our destination, knowing where we're going, and having the freedom to live an authentic Christian life. Because God wants us to live who we are. Every one of us are different. We have different personalities. We are unique and God wants to work through us in our unique personality. So in 14, it says, In him you also, after listening to the truth, uh, the, the, the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed with him who is given us as a pledge of our inheritance with a view of the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. So here we are, we're sealed, and then God, he pledges to us our inheritance. Well, what is our inheritance? The Bible says that we receive the gift of eternal life. Our inheritance is our eternal life. Our reward for accepting Christ as our personal Savior is eternal life. Now, we found that not only did Christ take away our sins, and the Bible says that he has forgiven us and he has forgotten our sins, but he gave us something. He gave us his righteousness. Now, if you break down the word righteousness, it's right doing. So he gave us something within us that causes us to want to do what is right. And that's because we were born again. We were born again and we received a new heart and a new spirit. And the Bible says here in 2 Corinthians, or yeah, 2nd Corinthians 3, 3, the Bible says, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life is revealed then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So the Bible says that when you gave your life to Christ you are now hidden in Christ. You are protected. You're sealed. You're hidden. You're safe. You're secure. Everything is all right. You can go through this life knowing that everything is all right. And the bottom line is you are the new you, just like the Bible says. And then I touched on judgment and rewards. And uh, we found that the Christian does not face the judgment. For the Bible is very clear. The Bible says in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So you cannot face the judgment bar of God. Well, what about what the Bible says we all appear before the judgment bar of God? And that is in, in the, the great right throne judgment in Revelation 20. But when you read Revelation 20, as we did, we found out that Revelation 20 judgment is for the wicked, the righteous have already been judged. And so there is no judgment for the Christian. There's none of this idea that one day you're going to be peer before the judgment bar of God and a big TV screen is going to be up in the air and you're going to see all your sins. No. The Bible says that your sins are not only forgiven, but they are forgotten. God has forgotten. God chose this, that he's forgotten your sins and remembers them no more. And then we studied in Matthew 25, it talks about the sheep and the goats, the saved and the lost. You know, it's, it's, it's in, in, uh, in there in Matthew 25, it says, heaven is for those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. In Revelation 20, we talk about that judgment and they were, they were judged and then were cast into the lake of fire. So, and then we talked about rewards. What is our reward? Our reward is to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. In Matthew 25 and 34, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So, The Bible simply says to us that inherit the kingdom of God. So our inheritance is the kingdom of God. Our reward is the kingdom of God. We have a parable in Matthew 20. And um, sometimes we refer to these parables and we, we can't use a parable to prove a doctrine. This is a mistake that the Christians have made through the years. We do not prove anything from a parable, but we try to look what the lesson teaches us in a parable. And here, for those of you that can remember, it was the, the vineyard and this man hiring workers to work in the vineyard, and he hired some in the early morning, mid-morning, and then he hired some in the afternoon and then the mid-afternoon, and then he hired some an hour uh, before he was going to even pay everybody, and he paid everybody the same. And so this idea that has come into the Christian church that we're going to be rewarded for our works, you'll not find that in the Bible. You'll only find that the Bible says that we will receive a reward. It's not plural, that we're going to receive rewards. It's singular, and it says that we will receive a reward. And what is our reward? It is our inheritance. What is our inheritance? It's the gift of eternal life with Jesus Christ. And we will all be paid the same. We'll all enjoy eternal life. Not, there's not going to be one that has a bigger mansion or anything like that. It's nice to sometimes if you're, if you're really an outgoing person and you're a worker and you do all these good things, okay, it's, it's nice to think that maybe you're going to get something extra special. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that if you confess Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you will receive your inheritance you will receive your reward which is spending eternity with Jesus Christ now that makes a lot more sense doesn't it than to think that we're going to get cash re- rewards for doing good things no a lady came up to me one time when i was an evangelist and she said to me oh just think of all the crowns you're going to have in your all the jewels you're going to have in your crowns I said, ma'am, I'm not going to have any more than you, not any more than you. We're all going to get paid the same. And I said, it's just an honor and a privilege to do anything for the Lord, and it's really Christ working in us anyway. It's nothing we're doing, it's Christ working in us. And then in June, we learned about God's will. God has given us everything to pertaining to life and godliness. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. He has given us everything that we need for life, and then, you know, we think about sometimes you. Uh, I can remember when uh, when Judy and I we we would go to some meetings and somebody would give a testimony, and Judy was raised, uh, born and raised a Christian, and she was as good as a person can be, I guess, but. She had a a wonderful and beautiful heart, and she would listen to people who get up and said, oh, they were on drugs and and everything, and then they met the Lord and everything, and then everything changed, and and they were so excited about it. And and Judy used to say to me, oh, sometimes I wish I would have taken drugs and then found the Lord so I could be that excited. I said, no. I said, you don't want to wish that. I said, that might sound good. I says, and it does, and it is good. But I says, that person lives with a lot throughout their life. You know, all of us have scars, but some of us have deeper scars than others. Um, but we all appreciate together what God has done for us. Now, in, when we talk about God's will, and that God has given us everything, he asks us of two things, though. He asks the believer of only two things. He says to us, do not conform to the patterns of this world. Well, what are the patterns of this world? What does that mean? Well, in some translations, it says the schemes of the world. Well, what does that really mean? You What does all that talk about? Well, they say it's the philosophy of life. Well, what really is the bottom line of our philosophy of life? Now, those of you that have children and grandchildren, you see a little bit about the philosophy of life. When children are little, it's all about them. And it's about nobody else but them. They want their needs met. And that's the way we grow up. In the philosophy of this world is putting ourselves first. And that's where the problem comes. Um, one of the things that I have learned to enjoy about wild, wonderful West Virginia, I've never lived in a farming community before, quite like this one anyway. And I know that when something happens to somebody... Like I got a call one time, and they said, Gary, could you come down and help us?" I said, "What happened and he said, so and so got his arm caught in a in a baler and um, I said, "Yeah, I'll be right there." And so we it took all of his flesh off of his arm, and they had a, a, a helicopter came and, t- and took him to uh, Morgantown and um, so everybody pitched in, finished everything, made sure his crops were in, made sure everything was right. Um, and it was it's just a good thing that we dropped whatever we were doing, and that was the priority at that moment. Um, and so I think that those of you that have been brought up maybe in a different era, era and brought up in the farming community, um, that's part of your life. But that's not part of a life in the city. I can tell you that. Everybody's on their own in the city. But it's part—it's just part and parcel of life. Well, we're so used to putting ourselves first. And I find myself doing that too. We find ourselves putting ourselves first. And so we can, we can neglect a lot of things, and I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on anybody, but we can neglect a lot of things just to make sure that everything we're looking after ourselves. And this is not what Christ intended for us to do. When he lives his life in us and through us, it's a process that our we begin to change. Our minds begin to change and they work differently. And now it's not so much. I mean, it, it probably will never leave us f- f- uh, completely. But now it's it's putting other people before us uh, and that's not easy to do it's, it hasn't been easy for me I have to confess I try and everything and the more I try the harder it gets and so finally I came to the place and I said Lord I'm, I'm tired of trying you, you promised me that you would work through me and so I've given you my consent I've given you permission I want you to do it so if you do it, I would appreciate it very much. And so it's been a process, and that's the way it is. The second thing that God asks us to do is be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, what does that mean? A lot of people think that means, okay, studying the Bible, having quiet time, having prayer, and all sort, going to church and all sorts of these things like that. That is not what it means. I don't know why we we want to make it that, but that's not what it means. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It is seeing your life as God has described it. It's believing God what he says about you is true. God says that you are his child. Well, do you really believe that you are his child? If you believe that you are his child, you will begin to act more and more like his child. It won't be something you have to work at. It's something that by believing it, that's when God changes us. By believing what he says is true about you. Now, do you see yourself perfect forever? Probably. You don't feel that. You don't feel that at all. But If God says it, can I believe it? Or do I have to examine myself, as some people teach, do I have to examine myself to see whether I'm in a relationship with God or not? So the whole thing is, uh, I can remember uh, my younger brother, he told me one time he was in Wisconsin and he was a carpet salesman he was up in northern Wisconsin, got caught in a blizzard, and um, he had to stay—I think it was three nights—in a motel up there. And he watched—he was watching TV—and lo and behold, Jim and Tammy Baker came on the screen. And um, he was not a religious person at all, and so he was watching it, watching it that. And at that time, Jim Baker used to say to the people that if you would put your hand on the screen of the TV, he would pray for your salvation. And so my brother, he was going through a lot at that time. He was going through a divorce. His life was just shattered. And so in that hotel room, he went up and he placed his hand on the TV and asked Christ to come into his life. Now, I don't know that he really understood what he was doing at that time i can remember telling him that what you did was perfectly okay and it was a wonderful act of your heart and he did something to you and i told him i said that's why you have a good heart you're a good brother you're a good you have a good heart you don't always do good things but you're a good heart you have a good heart and the reason that you don't always do good things is simply because you don't understand the process that took place when you opened your life to Christ. You just went through something that you didn't really understand. And what happened is, God did that surgery that you've heard me talk about so many times. He opened you up. He took out that heart of stone and gave you a new heart. It gave you a new heart. And that's what happens to all of us. So being transformed by the renewing of your mind means to renew what God says about you that is true. And you are complete in Christ. You are perfect forever. The sin issue is all over. Your sins are not held against you. It doesn't mean that now you have a license to sin. That's, that's just craziness talk. That's what an unbeliever would say. The idea that he does not hold your sins against you is because he lives in you. He lives in you. And he's the one that changes you. You don't change yourself by doing whatever you think you have to do. It doesn't work that way. And so, if you believe it, you'll develop an attitude of rejoicing and giving thanks to God in almost everything. It takes a while to get there, because how do, as, as some of us, Larry and Cindy and I, how do you thank God for losing your spouse? I mean, you, you don't. I mean, it, it's very difficult to do some of those things. But God says that we, he wants us to believe that all things will work for good, even the death of a loved one. And so it's this believing. And once we believe it, even though we're, our our, our flesh is going to, it's like I was telling Larry and Cindy that this year, after six years of losing Judy, this year has been the toughest time at this particular time of the year. I thought it was going to get easier every year, and it was up until this year, so I don't know what the deal is, I don't understand it, but I do know one thing, that I do know that I have Christ living in me, and he says to me, Gary, no matter how, what you're going through right now, all things work for good because you love me. Now, do you believe me? I say, yes, Lord, but I'm, I'm feeling craziness. And he says, I understand, but I want you to believe me. And so we also looked at uh, justification. We looked at law and grace. We looked at what Paul said, and then the difference in what James said. James, I mean, Paul says that uh, we are justified by faith. James says, no way we are justified by works. And so we looked up a couple of texts and see if I can, oh, here it is. James 2.21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? So there it says it very plainly. He says, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? And then notice what he says in uh, James 2.25. In the same way, Was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Now, people take this text and they try to work in the combination of we're saved by grace and then we're saved by works. Works is an evidence that you were saved by grace. And they play this kind of... Uh, a game of basketball there for they juggle one thing and then the other. But here are the questions that we need to look at. Abraham was justified by works. That's what the Bible says. Well, when was he justified by works? Well, when he offered up Isaac. Well, how many times did he offer up Isaac? Just once. Once. And then Rahab, the prostitute, was justified by works. Well, when was she justified by works? When she opened the door for the spies. Now, how many times did she open the door for the spies? Once, only one time. James is not referring to a lifelong record of works. He's talking about faith. In God's message. When you hear it. When you know that God. Like God spoke to Rahab. God spoke to Abraham. And they obeyed. They did what God asked them to do. And James is simply saying. You can tell me all about your faith. But if you don't follow through with it. It's nothing but dead faith. It's dead works. Ephesians 2, 10, it says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You don't have to muster up good works. That's part of being a Christian. That's part of having Christ living in you. Christ will do the good works in you and through you. And then in July, we spoke about the new covenant in Hebrews 8. Completely different from the old. It's a better covenant, the Bible says. Well, what makes it a better covenant? What makes it a better covenant than the old? It's the idea that God will give the believer a new desire. You see, in the Old Testament, Christ did not live in them. The apostles didn't have what we have today. Yes, they had Christ. They lived with him. They, they saw his miracles. They did everything. We are much more fortunate than the apostles. They did not understand, or could they, about Christ living in an individual. They had Christ alongside of them. Christ was with them. Christ is in us. He is in us. And that's the big difference and so we talked about that the new covenant and then in Galatians 2:20 which is a favorite text in this church I think Larry used it almost every almost weekly but he says I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live but Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me Christ living in you. We've come to understand that God changes our our have-tos into our want-tos. This is what Christ does on the inside. He's the one that changes us. Now, if we believe that we are united with Christ, as the Bible says, if we really believe it, then we'll have no problem. We'll act like it. We'll act like we believe it. In August, we talked about reconciliation. How the barrier, the barrier is sin, between God and man has been taken away. The only thing that keeps any man from eternal life is his refusal to accept the salvation that God offers. That's the only way a person can be lost. We looked at the Sermon on the Mount. We looked at the Lord's Prayer. And we found something different in that. We found that Christ who taught us the Lord's Prayer, we found that Christ who gave the Sermon on the Mount, that he was before the cross and he was speaking to the Jews that were under the law. Jesus Christ was the bridge from the Old Testament to the New. Now, we didn't understand about Christ living in you until Christ died and was resurrected. And so Jesus taught under the law. He magnified the law. He amplified the law. He showed the people that it was impossible for anyone to keep the law. In fact, he says that, he says, you have heard that you shouldn't murder. And he said, I say unto you that if you are angry with your brother, you are guilty of murder. Then he said, you have heard that you shouldn't commit adultery. But he says, I say unto you that if you look upon a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery. And all Jesus was doing, he was showing the impossibility Because not only was he he looking at the the letter of the law, but he was looking at the magnification and the amplification of it. And so he taught under the law. And that's why we have to be careful. You've heard me refer to some uh, groups that call themselves red-letter Christians. They want to follow everything that Jesus said. They, they're interested in what Paul said, but they want to follow everything that Jesus said, and that's very dangerous because Jesus says that if your right eye, if it uh, affects you, pluck it out. If your right hand, cut it off. Well, we don't go cutting off body parts or anything else like that. And then you've heard me say that Many times that it's not what Jesus said is what Jesus meant when he said what. And he meant every word of the Sermon on the Mount and the Lord's Prayer. He meant every word of it. He just magnified it and showed us and showed the Jewish people that they were facing, they were barking up the wrong trail by trying to keep the law. And so we found out that the cross is a dividing line of human history. Everything in the old has passed away. And we are different. We are different. We have an advantage of what they had in the Old Testament because we have a new heart, we have a new spirit, we have a new nature, and we have been transferred into Christ. And Christ now lives in us and expresses himself through us. It's about God's desire being imprinted on our hearts and our minds. It's about knowing that the Holy Spirit seals us. It's about our obedience coming from God working in us. And so in September, we went into the comfort and tribulation. And God's disciplining the believer. Now, there is a belief out here. That when things go wrong in your life, that you're doing something wrong in your life. It was the same thing when you go into the book of Job. His three friends were trying to convince him of the same thing. That things were happening to him because he wasn't doing things right. And so we have a tendency to believe when bad things happen that God is disciplining us. And... Um, that is not true. That is not true at all. God knows your heart, and you can believe one thing. God is 100% behind you. You are his child, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. He is with you no matter what you're going through. We found that the word discipline comes from the same root word, disciple. Disciple. And remember, discipline is not God's reaction to sin. Never think that or believe that. God's discipline is always about recreating us into his image. And how does he do this? He does it by guiding us, he does this by correcting us, he does this by maturing us. This is how God deals with his people with his family, with his children. We are being conformed into his son's image. Now this could not happen if we were somehow magically ejected from difficult circumstances. No, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Just because you are a Christian doesn't mean that you're not going to face issues and problems and all sorts of things. But because you are a Christian, you believe that I have a God who loves me and will take me through this and will go through it together. And so we're called to trust God for our past, present, and our future. Paul said something unusual. He says that my power is made perfect in weakness. Have you ever felt there's certain parts of you that are kind of weak? You know, I was complaining to somebody yesterday. I said, "You know, I said I don't know what's wrong with me." I says, "I'm having a harder time with the food issue than I've ever had in my life." So sometimes we have weaknesses, and Paul says this: my power is made perfect in weaknesses. Now, how does that work? Well, if we have a weakness and we can't seem to do anything about it, our first reaction is go to God and say, God, there's nothing, I, I, I'm, I'm a mess. I, I, I'm trying, but it doesn't seem like, and God is saying, well, quit trying and let's talk over the problem and trust me, that I will get you through it. And then Paul says this. He says that not only, he says, am I weak, he says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. So our weaknesses, they give birth to our strength. So we ought not to get on ourselves for being weak in certain areas. We ought to rejoice in it because we're going to become strong. In October, I talked about the armor of God, dying with Jesus, and the key to the Christian life. We found that Satan is a defeated enemy. I don't know why we give him so much credit for what goes on in this world but we seem to do that. The Bible says that he is a defeated enemy. And so, in the New Testament, it seems like there is somewhat focus on the devil, the demons, but it's only for two reasons only. Only for two reasons. And one is, just so to say that the the evil and death are defeated, that you do not have to be concerned about what the devil's doing. Now, we're led to believe in the church somehow that we need to focus on, we need to put the armor on every day and we need to be careful because the devil is attacking us in every, every way and every shape, form. Uh, and yet, the Bible tells us that The devil is defeated, and then the Bible warns us to not be taken in by the devil's schemes. So that's what he says to the Christian. Then he says, but remember one thing, greater is he that is within. Now, what is within? That surgery that took place, he gave us a new heart, that's where he dwells. He says, greater is he that is within than he that is in the world. We have nothing to fear from the devil. Nothing at all. We are protected. We are in Christ. We are sealed. We are taken well care of. And God just wants us to believe it. He just wants us to believe it. In Colossians 1.13, it says, For he rescued us, from the domain of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. We don't have to worry about anything. We've already been transferred. And then in November, I covered our view of God. How do we view God? When bad things happen, Satan wants, to, wants you to buy into that idea that you're doing something wrong. But we found that it's not your sins. It's about a fallen world. And this fallen world comes at us. God already assures us that our sins have been forgiven and forgotten forever. And then a favorite text of mine is Ezekiel 36, 26. Moreover, I will give you a new heart And put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. What a tremendous text that is. That God does it all. God performs the surgery, God takes this old stony heart out, puts a new one in. My, we're fixed for life. We're fixed for life. And when we sin, We are going against our heart. That's why to a born again believer, yes, you can sin and we do but there's no joy in it anymore. There's just that same old nagging thing, what in the world am I doing? And then our reaction should be not so much, oh God, please forgive me. Our reaction would be Thank you, Lord, for taking care of that 2,000 years ago on Calvary. I praise you and thank you for it. It all starts with living from your heart. And the Bible says that you have an obedient heart. So here again, the question is, do we really believe the Bible? If we believe the Bible and the Bible says that we have a forgiving, or we have an obedient heart. Then we don't have to worry about being obedient. We have an obedient heart. We can trust that now. And you'll become obedient. We always have a flesh. We always have a problem with the flesh. We always will as long as we're on this earth. That's why the Bible says that I will give you a new body, so you won't have that issue anymore. But right now, you're doing okay. You're doing fine. God-likeness is a consequence of God's activity in man. Our problem seems to be that, especially in the Christian church, there's an effort to try to imitate God. And... Those that try it, and I've tried it, so I'm, I'm one of those that have tried it, we found out that it, it, it doesn't work. And too many people give up on religion because of that. They say, I try year after year, nothing changes, I'm the same, nothing, and it goes on and on. And so they say, well, I don't get it, I, I, I don't understand. I guess maybe God isn't, working in me or... What is it? It's the idea that we're not believing him. We're not trusting him. And once we do that, we'll see a change. It is only the Spirit of God acting within you that can enable you to even behave. The bottom line, it takes God to be man. That is as God intended man to be. God created man to be inhabited by God and for God. What a beautiful truth that is. I used to say uh, that there's, there's a vacuum, there's an emptiness within every individual who's ever been born. And at that time, I didn't understand that God created man to be inhabited. He created him to be inhabited. And he created him to be inhabited by the Holy Spirit, Christ living in you through the Holy Spirit. Inhabited by God, for God. Well, 2019 is just right before us. And January, we will inform the community of who we are through this postcard. And we need to be praying and believing that God will not only open our church and our hearts, but to those who are finding and seeking and looking for Jesus Christ as an answer, that we can help them with a the relationship with them, show them how much God really loves them and how they have nothing to fear if they'll just trust God. And we have nothing to fear as long as we trust God. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the blessings that you have given to us. We're thankful for your word that gives us all these assurances that we are okay. And that we are safe. And that we are sealed. And that you have left us here and you have given us the great privilege of living out the Christian life. And I just pray that you will bless this church and bless this community. I pray as these postcards go out, I pray that when it comes into the homes that there will be people who are looking and searching. And I pray that, that they will find. they will find you. And I hope that you can use us to help them do that. And that you could use us to to reflect what it is to have Christ living in a person. And we are so thankful for what you are doing and what you will do, not only for our church, but for each one of us. We praise you and we thank you for your love and your commitment that you have made to us. You have told us that if we trust you, that we have an inheritance you pledge that we already have it. So help us to believe it and help us to look forward to it, to spend eternity with you. We're thankful for the eternal life that has already started in our lives. It would be wonderful to be with you. Bless us now, I pray. Meet the needs that each one of us have. Bless all of the members of the fellowship. We love you, Lord. We love you because of You have loved us first, and you have proven that over and over again. We thank you for your word that we can rest and trust that everything you said is true. So bless us to this end. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.